I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, Small Business Advanced Tax Planning and Compliance Extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Uh, today, we'd like to welcome to the podcast, Clint C.J. Latham. Yes. Who should I call you, C.J.? Uh, it doesn't matter. That's a really complicated question. Right? So that, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> we're, not yeah. gonna do, yeah. we're not even going to go there. Yeah, yeah. All right. It yeah, it doesn't matter, though. All right. With two senior Yorkies, mm. Clint understands the need to have a trusted veterinary to care for veterinarian to care for his family members. That's why in 2017, he was ecstatic about joining the veterinarian IT support team at IT Guru. Clint's goal is to help uncover the mystery of information technology for DVMs or veterinarians mm. across the country so that they can focus on what is most important, quality care for our four-legged family members. Clint started his career in software development, which then led him into cloud infrastructure for major financial institutions. Clint saw how this same cloud technology can not only simplify, but also provide great security and stability for veterinarian practices everywhere. You guys are all over the country right now. You were just in Pittsburgh. That's awesome. When Clint's not working with clinics, he's enjoying, he enjoys riding racing bicycles, like mountain bikes. Uh, mountain bikes, road bikes, yeah. All the things. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm putting my hat, my hat in for the Leadville 100 in oh. December. Yeah. Our, podca- our podcast producer, Steven, does that oh, stuff. Oh, nice. You got, um, you got oh, but running. Yeah, that's, he that's runs. Way, that's way no, more no awesome than riding a bike. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's intense. Um, yeah. And traveling with his wife, Erin. Um, fun fact, Clint and I mm. actually went to the same high school. <laughs> yes, yeah. Demons represent. That's right. Yeah. Go demons. Yeah. Golden demons. I know. Ever. I still actually have a pair of sweatpants that say demons on the Ooh, butt. And every nice. time I wear them, my kids are like, demons. <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> I was like, you don't even know. I yeah. like to walk around with the word demon on my butt. Yeah. Uh, first question is always the same. Yeah. What was your first job? Washing dishes at the Wonderview Cafe. <laughs> Where's the Wonderview? Is that up in Cold, Cold Creek? Creek? Yeah. So it's like uh, you take 72 all the way up and just before it like crests kind of over the mountain then mm-hmm. you head down to highway 119 it's like right there on the mm-hmm. left yeah i think i've been there yeah a little mexican place yeah, yeah i think i went there for prom one oh, year did? yeah i don't know yeah so how did you get started in it that's that's an interesting question um so i was working for a sports supplement company which was really awesome um because i love nutrition and sports science and that mm-hmm. whole deal Um, and so I was like the promotions manager for a sports supplement company, but I was, as a term that we use is like, you don't computer well. I computered really well. Um, I, so I was like running my own reports in, um, SQL server. And then we had an in-house developer that was also doing some other stuff. And so I kind of became his like test bed. Mm -hmm. So he'd always be like, Hey, can you test this? And like in my downtime, I was like creating little VB scripts and stuff. And, um, yeah, so from there I, just thought oh, maybe I should um, I was like I, I was working and I was like halfway in between finishing my bachelor's degree and I wasn't and at the time I was just going for like a general business degree and I was like oh, maybe I should look at technology and so I ended up changing my major to information technology and then once I graduated I started looking for jobs and then I found a job in Boulder as a developer and it kind of spawned from there that's awesome so why the current focus on veterinarians um to be honest I fell into it because uh, Joe, who is the principal of the company, he made the switch, I think, five or seven years ago to focus on a vertical. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and he um i think he just kind of like it was his thing was like uh brews and dogs and brews or something because mm-hmm. we had a bunch of uh dry dock and a couple other organizations that were in the brewing side and he had just picked up a veterinarian and so he was like maybe we should really think about you know focusing on this and then of course marketing 101 is find a customer know that customer mm-hmm. yeah niche and then and go for it and so he kind of went for it and um yeah i think it's probably been the best decision that the company's made because it's been um really great for us uh, it's led to amazing growth and um it allows us to also be really be good at one subsect of technology. I mean, it all kind of blends over, like, mm-hmm. um, but it just allows you to really know somebody and know how to support them and fix their problems. I like that. Um, so I have some technical questions for yeah. you. Yeah. So uh, what are some of the essential pieces of hardware technology for most veterinarian practices? Ooh, um, I guess it kind of depends. Uh, for most most bigger clinics, that say are like three plus doctors, mm-hmm. four or five exam rooms, they are going to, they're probably going to have like an in-house server. It's probably sitting on a litter box somewhere in the back <laughs> closet, ironically. <laughs> I yeah. was like, I can imagine yeah. that. <laughs> um, in most cases, then they have like, they have their, like here's Com- in here's Comcast, but like if mm-hmm. you're on the East Coast Verizon or whoever, you probably, they probably just have their modem and, and kind of like their generic firewall that comes mm-hmm. with it so it's kind of the general infrastructure and then there's just a bunch of endpoints um so really depending it all really depends on your workflow and what your what's your what's your business model and how do you support your customer are you mm-hmm. a clinic that turns and burns so are you just you know are you trying to get as many customers in and out as possible or are you that um clinic that it's a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more red carpet approach. So mm-hmm. your exam times are longer, you know, are you, are you like closer to 30 minute exam times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really going to kind of dictate which way your infrastructure should go, you mm-hmm. know, and are you trying to check customers out in the exam in the exam room? Or are you trying to funnel them through the reception desk? Are you, um, we have some clinics that want to do like food and prescription drop-offs and pickups like out, out front, almost like a, sonic drive-through you know like you just pull up and call up and like hey we're here and they come out and check you out in the car scene so that. that is really cool yeah so it, it really all kind of depends um i mean the basic infrastructure is of course you should have a, a firewall in place uh now windows 7 is ending this year so of course you should have windows 10 machines in place mm-hmm. and then you know basic server infrastructure but like we mentioned i was just in pittsburgh with that clinic it's brand new they're entirely cloud-based so uh we structured their network to be not so dependent on the local infrastructure Mm -hmm. and a lot more module so it it really kind of depends on the business model interesting um and we they also have so the lab equipment now is Mm -hmm. is part of the tech correct yeah hardware yeah and and generally that will all come from i mean you're going to have doctors and clinics that have a certain vendor that they like to work with, a Baxis or mm-hmm. IDEX are kind of the two big ones that we see. Um, I mean, we always say like, hey, if you're going to, if you're in, if you're a new clinic and you're going to use Cornerstone as your practice management system, then you should probably stay under the IDEX umbrella. It just makes things easier. So why not use the IDEX in-house labs because mm-hmm. the communication is just way better. Um, so just trying to keep everything under one umbrella works a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, it's half one, half dozen of another. Uh, what are some of the essential pieces of software for most veterinarian practices? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's really just going to be mostly their practice management system. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
that's going to be the heartbeat of their business. Um, and ironically, something we talk about a lot is they're so dependent upon it, but yet they don't realize it, ironically. So mm-hmm. um, most owners are like, oh, yeah, we can. Uh, I'm like, yeah, we don't, you know, we can be down for a couple of days. And then and then a major outage happens and they're down for four hours. And it's like, oh, we can't access any of our customer records, this stuff. It's like, yeah, we told you, you know, like. <laughs> You like to pretend that it's not that important, um, but it really is the heartbeat of your business. And so if if that isn't structured and protected in the right way, um, you know, what kind of revenue are you going to lose if you're down for five or six days, right? That's interesting. How do you, um, actually I had that question later, but yeah. you brought it up. So, you know, how do you, how do you mitigate that? Especially people that are cloud-based, how do you? Yeah. Um, so it depends like with, um, well, I'll start with the local infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So if you still have a server on site, we use a, a physical appliance that basically um, just mirrors the server. So mm-hmm. to give an example, we have a clinic down south in um, Pueblo, Colorado, mm-hmm. or I should say West Pueblo. And they um, they they were expanding and they went to move the server and it was a server that was gifted them, right? Mm-hmm. So this is also another thing we see a lot. People just are gifted servers. <laughs> Don't make faces at my <laughs> server. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so they just moved it. And of course, they went. To, we went to power back on it. It wouldn't come on. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like a Thursday night or something. And they've got patients coming at 7. What do we do? Um, you know, because it's after hours, we tried for a while to see if we could somehow recover the hardware. It wasn't going to happen. So we have this little appliance that uh, we set at what time it makes full it's like a virtualized backup so mm-hmm. it mirrors the entire server so we said okay not a problem we turned on our little backup and it ran as the server mm-hmm. so the next morning they ran on our backup appliance that or their backup appliance i should say uh for that entire day while we then got what we call our lifeboat so we have like a spare server that we keep on hand <laughs> lifeboat yeah so I they like ran it. business as normal um even though their server was in the tanks a little bit slower than normal but it still ran everything uh kind of status quo then once they shut, once business closed at five o'clock, we came in, took, brought in our spare server, copy the the data back over to that server in a few hours, and then they were running on our server until we could source like a proper piece of equipment and then do it right. So they actually ran on our hardware for like six months. Um, again, because ninety nine percent ninety nine percent of problems in IT come from change. Mm-hmm. So if you the more changes you're making, the more problems you're going to have. So again, we didn't want to just slam another server in there. It was like, hey okay, you're on our lifeboat. Let's just, let's find the right piece of hardware. Let's get it in and let's do a staged approach so that you can keep working mm-hmm. without having to just, you know, everything being a nightmare and not miss any Starting business. over. Yeah. Um, so there are so many applications and solutions available. How do you help practice owners choose their solutions and integrate their workflow? I just know yeah. that there's just... Like even, I mean, just in our industry, I'm bombarded by solutions. Mm-hmm. Like there's maybe 10 to 12 like super viable options for like client management. Yeah. Right. So how do you help people choose what to use and integrate their workflows? You know, I don't know if it's a, if it's unfortunate or fortunate for us. In most cases, we those solutions are most of them already in place. Oh, wow. So like, um, or they have an idea of what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only in like the new clinic build out that then we help them determine again, what practice management system they're going to use. Um, again, cause that's the biggest one. And luckily, um, I think I saw a number at uh, the veterinary innovation summit earlier this year that 
the vet industry as a whole right now is only like a $3 billion industry or something like that. Oh, wow. But the, um, but Mars, so for people who don't know, Mars, the candy bar company, mm -hmm. they own a lot of clinics both they in do. Europe. Yeah, Europe and in, in America. I can't remember the, it's one of the big players like Banfield or something like that. It may not be Banfield, but it's, or VCA. It's one of the two really big ones. Mm -hmm. They, they actually own them. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. And they are, they are Mars. Uh, so the president of the veterinary division at Mars spoke, and she said that she anticipates the veterinary division to reach twenty two billion in the, like the next ten years. So it's like a really young industry. So what does that mean? Well, it mm -hmm. just means that there aren't a lot of solutions. You know, there are few, mm -hmm. and so it actually makes it easier for us because we know yes this one's good this one's not stay away from this one mm -hmm. you know this one's a better that. fit for you yeah. this one's not a good fit for you yeah. but there's like three options instead yeah. of like and we've never got i mean for most it and to be completely honest most of the major software solutions for vet practices are going to fill 80 percent of your need mm -hmm. and then you're just gonna have to deal with the other 20 percent. like you're just gonna have to figure out yes it's just we don't like it but that's the way it is we have yet to have a clinic say, uh, I take that back. We have one clinic that is in North Carolina that actually they decided to make the move from um, one practice management system to another because they thought it was going to be better for them. So of all the clinics we manage all across the country, we've had one that has decided, yeah, we're going to make the change. Otherwise, they just they deal stay with, with it. They stick with what they have and yeah. fill in with whatever they need. Yeah. That's really interesting. So how do you, so we kind of talked about how you help um, owners mitigate um, or avoid technology disasters, but most business owners aren't tech people. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you help your veterinarians understand what needs to happen with their tech? And then how do you help them, you know, come up with a plan for potential disaster? Yeah. Yeah. I feel a little bit lucky in this, in this sense, because I essentially played a role at a software company where I was like, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, like a product manager. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of that liaison between insanely technical thinking developers who are thinking in relations and logic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and then a lot of times how they think the workflow sh should work doesn't work with what the end user wants. And so you have to translate those needs to tech people. And then when, we, when there's a technical gap that has to be filled a certain way just because of the technical requirements, you then have to find a way to translate that to the end user. Like, we understand that it, in your mind it should work this way, mm -hmm. but technically speaking, we have to do it this way. So how do you translate that language? Um, and that can be tough. And I think really what it comes down to is learning to speak in somebody, own, somebody else's language, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's been a matter of, yeah, we have our IT standards of care. So mm -hmm. what does that mean to a DVM? Well, they have their standards of care that are governed by their um licensing boards and stuff like that, certain things that you have to do. And, and, and then above and beyond that, like if you're AHA accredited, like what is that standard of care that you have to provide to each patient? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like we have our IT standards of care. So we have to do these things in order to ensure security and stability. Those are the two biggest things that most DVMs want. Um, we do have a few that are really interested in new technology, which is always fun. Um, I have one doctor that I love meeting with because he's always like, oh, okay, you were at this conference. What should I do now? What what cool things should we do? And so sometimes it's like, we'll put the brakes on. Like, <laughs> we don't need to do everything. Um, but yeah, so it's a way of how do you then speak in their language? Like sometimes it's like, um, you know, like I'm not a doctor, but with my dog that has cancer, it's like when we're monitoring his diet, we're looking at his his blood panel, right? Mm -hmm. And we're 
monitoring his uh, creatinine and BUN levels, which tells us, you know, his, are his kidneys functioning? So it's sometimes picking up on those little bits of medical language to say like, yeah, like this hemorrhaging that we're seeing is almost like an elevated BUN level, right? Mm. So we're starting to see that the kidneys might start failing. So what do we have to do to prevent that before it becomes a disaster? Just translating it. Yeah. Into and then they're like, oh, industry. okay, I get it. Yeah. And then again, for us, it's not about just selling them stuff just for the sake of, of selling not. them stuff. Right. Yeah. It's what are you going to need that really is going to, um, and I guess to circle back to talk about, because you're like, well, what systems do people need in place? It really depends on your business model. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, I feel like a lot of veterinarians, they're just kind of like, yeah, we take anybody that comes in the door. So if we can get them to really think about who you're supporting, start analyzing your customer base, and then how does that technology touch them? And what pieces do we use? Mm-hmm. And then finding ways to talk about it in their language to make them understand why it's going to help them in that mm-hmm. greater flow of things. So what do you see on the horizon for um, for veterinarian tech? So we're looking at we're looking at um, telehealth mm-hmm. coming yeah. in. How is that going to play in? Um, interesting. When I was at uh, AVMA in D.C. just a couple months ago, I met a guy who is I had an amazing conversation with a guy who was actually meeting with the chief veterinary officer of the United States government. A, I had no idea we had a chief veterinary officer. Did not know that either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what was interesting is the conversation with him, telehealth is huge. And I had always had always thought about it just from the end customer standpoint. So mm-hmm. the majority, uh, the Merck study showed us that I think it's like 52% of current pet population owners are what we call like the millennial or generation mm-hmm. um and we can understand a lot about their buying patterns and the things that they want and how they really want everything seamlessly integrated they want to be able to book appointments online they want to be able to refill prescriptions online um they want you to control your digital footprint like you got to have a decent website it can't be something that was you know built in notepad right mm-hmm. um and so, not updated yeah i was on somebody's website the other day and i was like this has not been updated for <laughs> a long time yeah <laughs> exactly well then that's the thing because the younger generation now i mean my nephew who's five or six now i mean he knows just, just he probably knows better than i do how to work an ipad right mm-hmm. i mean they're just they live and breathe with this stuff and so i was always thinking from the standpoint of that customer what are they going to want mm-hmm. okay they are going to be able to want want to do a FaceTime video and say, hey, what what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really the bigger problem. Uh, what, I, what I learned was is that the bigger problem is that there are countries like Poland and France and Australia that are already doing telehealth. And what's going to happen is that because the internet is a global game, it is going to open up the door to DVMs in these other countries saying, hey, we can provide you an online consultation to tell you what's going on with your animal and help you determine what's going to be the best care of a, uh, course of action. And we'll do it for 30 bucks and we can do it right now. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to start taking money away from the local DVM and the brick and mortar store. And more importantly, what's going to happen is we are going to start to have people that aren't governed by any sort of licensing board, um, you know, in countries, you know, like down in the Caribbean or some of these other places where they can set up these websites and start charging customers and they may not even be a DVM. Um, I will give an example that uh, there is a a guy, I'll I'll leave him nameless, but there's a guy in California that is offering um, essentially medical cannabis advice for help treating your pet with certain diseases. 
and the guy is essentially just a, for lack of a better term a drug, legal drug dealer in california like he's not a dvm um and so we're already starting to see it in some regard. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has set up a web page where you can go on and and get these consultations and um, understand what you know how to use cannabis with your pet. And it's like the guy ain't a DVM. Yeah, he doesn't really start. Yeah, He's and so and here's somebody who's in California who's already doing that. And so the the fact that we might start seeing it pop up in places like Pakistan and India, and um, you know other countries where it's going to be harder to control, especially coming mm -hmm. into the U.S. Um, that's kind of the bigger problem is that it's going to have a bigger impact on our brick and mortar stores than we realize. And people are going to be getting really bad, uh, service. Wow. Yeah. So what's the stopgap for that? What needs to happen with, with, <sighs> I think the stopgap is most DVMs don't realize that just to some degree, they're already doing telehealth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, when my, when Dr. Eric calls, when he picks up the phone and calls me and says, hey, we just saw Cash, how's he doing? And mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, he seems to be really uncomfortable. You know, why don't you, you know, or I'm like, yeah, there was blood in his urine. Mm -hmm. Okay, we know that he's like, you know, we know that we have to combat this um, bladder infections mm -hmm. because he has bladder cancer. So I'm just gonna prescribe you um, some Clavamox, just come by and pick it up. Mm -hmm. That is telehealth, right? right? It was all done over the phone. And most DVMs don't realize that they're already doing it. So mm -hmm. why not? Um, I mean, I talked with Dr. Peter Weinstein, who runs the, uh, he's the executive director of the Southern California VMA. And his thought was, why not, um, you know, start leveraging some of our other staff members? Um, there are a lot of, um, another thing is that a lot of female DVMs end up just taking time completely off because maybe they want to start a family or mm -hmm. something like that why not allow them to say work from home with the new baby and do Tell digital home. call? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Digital calls or uh, Skype calls, stuff like that. So there are ways for us to start leveraging these pieces of technology so that we're kind of in the forefront of it. Mm -hmm. um, again, back to the Merck study, it showed that, yeah, the new customer base is going to do more doctor, doctor, doctor Googling, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily a bad thing um, because they're going to do their research first but they're actually going to trust you more than prior generations. Yes. So they're going to do more research, but they want you to help them control the conversation and provide mm -hmm. them the right in information so they can be informed. Mm -hmm. So I think this is just another way to drive that conversation is to let's be in the forefront of it and start finding ways to slowly get better at providing remote telehealth services. Um, I actually just got all the guidelines from us, uh, CVMA the other day for at least the Colorado guidelines and what it means. And the door, um, it's pretty wide open. So the, there are some legal stuff that you do have to think about, but it's not as scary as most doctors think about. So I think most people just kind of need to realize you're already doing it. Mm -hmm. So how can you get better at it? And then how can you start to not only get better at it, but maybe start generating extra revenue from it? Yeah, leveraging it. Yeah. You know, maybe send, you know, having your text yeah. do the phone calls and then, you yeah. know, whatever actually needs to come to the doc comes to yeah. the doc. Or That's really interesting. Um because it's huge. Yeah. And and I like what you said about, you know, the current generation, the, ne the next generations are going to do their homework. And that's just like podcast content. Yeah. Like we're all looking for more content and trying to understand things. And then we go to whoever we think is the expert for the rest of our learning. Yes. Right. Yeah. So that's how people are consuming content now. And that's what they're doing with it. And I just find that really interesting. But yeah, I did a telehealth just 
a couple months back because they couldn't get a doctor's appointment for like two days and I had a sinus infection and I was like, hey. Yeah, see, human medicine is already doing it. And sometimes like veterinary medicine is seen as like the stepchild of human medicine. It's like things slowly trickle down, um, which I feel is unfortunate because I feel like there's a lot of room to do some really cool things that maybe could go the other way. Oh, yeah. Instead of, I like that. So um, you're developing a podcast right now. Yes. Tell us about that. Um, yeah. So we, one thing that um, we realized is that I'm fortunate enough that I get to go to all these conferences and I get to go um, learn all these like amazing things. And uh, most doctors that we work with, we realize are never going to leave the clinic, right? So they're, right. they're, if you've ever read the, read the E-Myth book, they're, they're the technician, right? They're mm-hmm. the ones that are stuck in the clinic, um, working 60 hours a week. And so we thought, well, we're having all these amazing conversations. How can we, so our, our parent company name is IT Guru. And, mm-hmm. you know, Guru is there, is meant to educate. So how can we help them, help to educate them on some of these really amazing things that are going on in the industry that can help them better their business. And so it was like, hey, maybe we should just start recording these conversations um, and provide it in an easily consumable format uh, so that, you know, maybe while they're doing their soaps or something, you know, they can listen to it or driving into the clinic or whatever, um, just to try to help better educate them as to the, all the different um, stuff going on. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, obviously, I like podcasts. Yes, obviously. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I tell the yeah. story. I didn't start listening to podcasts mm. until this guy over here um, talked me into doing oh, a really? podcast. Okay. And then I was like, well, I guess I better figure out what this podcast yeah. stuff is. <laughs> not not to be like the guy who was like, I was doing podcasts way before they were cool, but, <laughs> you know, way before it was way cool. But I used to love them because, um, but it was such a pain because you had to like, go to a website, download the audio mm-hmm. file, and then like transfer it onto your <laughs> iPod, right? Before everything was cloud-based. And it was like, you really had to be very intentional about the, the things you want to download uh-huh. and listen to. So I think it's amazing that it has become so easily consumable mm-hmm. and so readily available for so many people to get in the space. Because for me, it's like, I want to hear more from people that are doing things that I'm interested in, yeah. right? Um yeah, so I think it's amazing. I know. And I think it's just, it's one of the easiest, we're talking about, you know, how do we get content? It's yeah. one of the easiest ways to consume content. Yeah. I mean, I'm working and listening to podcasts yeah. 90% of the time. Yeah. Um, and it's just fun. And I'm yeah. learning as I do that too, right? It's that multitasking stuff. Yeah. Okay, so before I ask the, my last question, yeah. um, what is the easiest way for people to find you? Uh, the easiest way is probably to go to uh, veterinaryitsupport.com. Or if you go to it-guru.net, that'll also take you um, to our webpage. Or you can give us a call. Our local number is 303-520-3733. Yeah. And then you can ask for me or Joe or probably not me. You probably want to talk to somebody better. (laughs) (laughs) Ask for Clint. Yeah. Um, They'll be like, CJ? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) CJ there? I don't know who. No, he doesn't work here. No, no, CJ. Um, So in your experience, what is the one thing most um, practice or business owners are missing in their tech? And what is the most effective step they can take to fix it? Oh, what what are most people missing? I think it. Uh, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just just not realizing the dependency you have on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always terrible when we walk into a. It's also terrible, but yet great for us mm-hmm. in some respects because they become our best customers. But it is also really terrible because you we walk in these clinics and they're like everything, nothing works. It, you know, mm-hmm. um, 
what do we do? And we're like, well, we can't band-aid this stuff. I mean, you essentially need an entire network refresh. And what does that mean? Well, that means thirty to $40,000 in some cases if you're a smaller clinic, maybe more than that if you're a bigger clinic. And that's a lot of money, right? So if you can be smart about it, especially if you're if you're a clinic now, maybe just budget one and a half percent of your of your revenue to maintaining, you know, maintaining your IT infrastructure. Um, and if you are working, if you have an IT guy with um, or a company, uh, most people kind of have like the one man IT shop. Mm-hmm. So if you do have if you do have some sort of IT professional you're working with, try to meet with them more regularly mm-hmm. to get an idea as to where you're at yeah, but with you a know, plan yeah this is what, what you're do we need, need to do then. yes what you're gonna need when you know yeah. we should, let's just start budgeting for this things yeah. and get it scheduled and a lot of people you know a lot of even is like oh one and a half percent that seems ridiculous and it but it's like when i've ran the numbers we have multiple every clinic that we've taken on when i start analyzing what their it bill was before they started act proactively managing it uh, with working a company that structures it like we do they were spending upwards of four to five percent, mm-hmm. but they didn't realize that they were spending that much money because they're just writing checks every one month. Yeah, it's reactive. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. They fixed. They put a bandaid on this issue over here. That was six hundred bucks. Let's mm-hmm. write the check. And they're just writing these checks, and they don't really realize how much money they're spending. But when you're consistently spending a little bit higher dollar amount, what you think is a higher dollar amount, you're like, oh, that's really expensive. But in the long run, it's like, no, you're actually saving you're saving quite a bit and here's the numbers to show it and we so we always base our budgeting numbers off of the aha pulse points Mm -hmm. um and so you know right now i think if you're a non-aha accredited uh clinic you should be doing roughly three hundred thousand dollars per per exam room um so that kind of gives us a basis of what your revenue should be and then uh if you're an aha accredited it's upwards of like three hundred sixty five thousand dollars a year so we kind of use those numbers just to give us a general idea of where we think you should be at. That's just baseline standard revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so from there we say, yeah. And when we look back, when we've kind of taken those budget numbers and then reanalyzed our previous customers, we always come in at like one and a half percent. If you're really trying to grow and you're really trying to push your technology and kind of change everything, then you should probably think about 3%. Um, and then that will give you plenty of budget to really do some really amazing things. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can at least start at that one and a half percent and that one and a half percent should include your, all your reactive support time. So anytime, uh, uh, one of your techs or somebody has to pick up the phone and get mm-hmm. help, um, replacing machines that are di- you know, dying and aging printer printers, that sort of thing. So that budget should be there to kind of maintain and keep everything going and running. Um, kind of like maintenance on your car kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. I mean, accounting too, we talk about, you know, your accounting budget should be, you know, depending on how big you are and what you need and mm-hmm. all of that one to 5% of your yeah. revenue. Yeah. That's how we maintain things, yeah. right? Yes, that's exactly. how it works. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's how we do things proactively. Yeah. If it's reactive, it's going to cost you a work, lot yeah. more. And then for a lot of doctors, like I was just at a, a BMG group uh, in Dallas, I was speaking to a BMG group down there, and a lot of them don't really get it. And then I, then I always ask the question, again, to put it back in their language. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, how many patients do you see that come in where it's like, hey, had we been proactively monitoring this and had they been, at, you know, up in their compliance on their wellness plans and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, you could have caught a lot earlier and wouldn't be such the problem that it is now. Mm-hmm. And maybe now potentially, uh, 
end of life kind of situation mm -hmm. and everybody in the room shakes their heads and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, it, it's, just, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's the, uh, the wellness care. Yes. It's important. That's right. On, yeah. For our patients and for our accounting and for our, <laughs> yes, for your business as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> for our yeah. technology. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It was great. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant.